great to have you here this morning. Great to be worshiping with you. Before we jump into the sermon series, which I'm super fired up to get into, just want to give you a quick update on a little bit of where I'm at, a little bit of what's going on with my health. Um, for those of you who maybe are brand new to the place, you may not even know what's going on. So ended up having a brain surgery back in April. That was kind of the third go round on trying to get that tumor uh, in check. And there's just some parts to that that are in a precarious spot. We'll just say it that way and makes it difficult for them to get all of it out. And uh, so there's still a little bit left. We kind of knew that coming out of that surgery. And, and uh, so we've been looking at what to do on that. We've been doing some different MRIs, talking with doctors and, and over the past few weeks have kind of nailed down a plan. So we're headed after going for gamma knife radiation. That's a one day shot, which is nice. Just kind of a one day hit there uh, in November. Probably the second week in November is what it looks like right now. So we'll be doing Gamma Knife then. It's probably, uh, we'll call it three days to a week is what they're saying on recovery, and, uh, which is great. That's kind of on the mild side of life. And then it takes probably a year to three years to kind of see where the effectiveness of all that goes. But God willing, uh, this will be the end of this tumor. And uh, all of God's people said, <laughs> amen to that. So... Uh, that's where we're headed, super fired up for it. That'll be in November and can't wait to see what God does with that along the way. Praise God for that answer of the gamma knife possibility. So that's where we're going with it, all right? And we continue to celebrate Jesus Christ in our life. No matter what happens, we make much of him. And all of God's people said, all right. So today we're gonna jump into the series called Celebrate the Savior. Celebrate the Savior. And we're in the third week of this series. We launched a couple weeks back celebrate the Savior. We're talking all about the goodness of Jesus Christ. What's so great about him? In fact, we're going to look at seven different things throughout this series that are great about Jesus Christ. And God's made this super clear. Our roadmap for this is actually the Jewish feasts, all right? So our roadmap is these Jewish feasts that you find in the Old Testament. And we're going to walk through and take a look at each one of these feasts and let it point to a greatness about Jesus Christ. In the Jewish feast, one of the details to it is it looks backward. The Jewish feast looks back to something that God has already done. Everybody say already. Already, already done with Israel. So God doing something in the nation of Israel historically. And so those feasts look back and they celebrate some facet of what God's doing there. But then it also, everybody say also, is looking forward to Jesus Christ and a fulfillment that comes through him. The greatness of Jesus Christ is reflected in each one of these feasts. The feast is a historical truth and it is a type or a foreshadowing as it looks forward to Jesus fulfilling in some way, all right? So we've been walking through already a couple of the feasts and making sure we're making much of him and today we're jumping into the third. You might be like, well, if the feasts are that important, then why aren't we making sure that we're always executing on the feasts every year in every way all the time? And uh, so let me just read this passage to you. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Let no one pass judgment on you like, man, you should be doing it, judgment. Or like, man, you shouldn't be doing it, judgment. It's like, don't worry about it. Whichever way you go with it, executing or not executing, don't let anybody pass judgment. Verse 17 now. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And all of God's people said, 
Man, our job is to worship Jesus Christ. Our job is not to know a feast really well and try to execute it really well, okay? Our job is to make sure we're worshiping Christ with all we've got. He's like, these feasts are but a shadow, and the pointing is actually to Jesus. Make much of him. That's where we're headed. By the way, ladies, little shout out that comes from Colossians, and uh, that's what the study is going to be walking through, the book of Colossians. Don't miss out. Jump in on that study that starts up this Wednesday. You do not want to miss it. Was that good? All right. (laughs) She didn't ask me to say that. I just was joking around there. (laughs) All right, let's get back into this. So (laughs) we're in the third feast out of seven, and let's just go ahead and throw the slide up. Um, You should have this in your bulletin. It's at the top in your intro. We've got seven different feasts with icons there for each. And if you notice, we're in the third one. The third one is bulleted now or bolded out. It's the Feast of First Fruits. Notice that there is a first set of three, and then there's a middle one, and then there's three on the other end, right? And so that's a total of seven, and God's number is seven. That speaks to his completeness in the statement. God is like, this is really super important, and I'm being thorough about it, right? And the first three come in the first month of the religious Jewish calendar, and the third one that we're going to be talking about today is the Feast of First Fruits. Let's just do a little review. So the first one is the Feast of Passover. That's on the 14th day of the month, of the first month at twilight. The Feast of Passover. It was all about Israel being captive, uh, slaves in Egypt, stuck 400 years. And God's like, it's time to bust them out. This is it. And as he's going to release them, he ends up walking through a series of plagues. The first nine plagues are about showing God's greatness to the gods of Egypt. And and, uh, Pharaoh's like, yeah, that's all great, but I'm not letting him go, right? And then God's got the plan for the 10th one. It's not like he was surprised. It's not like he was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll up the ante. And like, that's not it. He knew exactly where he was headed. And he now brings the 10th plague. And he's very clear with Moses, hang on, it's going to be a really big deal. So on the first month, 14th day, at twilight, Your job is to take the lamb that you have selected that week, and you're going to sacrifice that lamb. The blood you'll put on the doorpost and the lintel, on the wood of your door, and it's indicating that you're trusting me and you're following me. And what I'm going to end up doing is the the Lord will pass through Egypt, and all of those who are trusting in me by putting the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, I will pass over. So Israel was going to be saved. But for those who don't put that mark on their doorpost, the Lord was going to come in and bring death to that home. The firstborns lost of animals and of humans, firstborns dying in every home that would not trust in him. The blood on the doorpost and the lintel allowed the wrath of God to pass over. And so it's called the Feast of Passover, and they were remembering that as we looked into that, it was also a type or a foreshadowing looking forward to Jesus Christ, who on the first month, 14th day at twilight, he breathed his last on the cross, and his blood shed onto the vertical and the horizontal wood, him for me. He became our Passover lamb, and now the wrath of God can pass over our sin. That was the first one. And then we looked at the second feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It actually said it was the next day. So it's the first month, 14th day at twilight. The next day is the 15th. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread then runs for a week celebrating this unleavened nature as they had to get out of Egypt fast, right? As this uh, 
working with Pharaoh was quick, and he's like, get out of here now. The plague affected him. They had to bolt. So they made bread with no leaven to be able to get out fast, but it was also an indication, hang on, super important, seven-day-long feast. The unleavened nature of this is massively important. Leaven equals sin in the Bible, and he's like, get the leaven out. And this is all about Jesus Christ, the great unleavened one, the sinless one, him for me. And on the 15th, he was buried. He went to the tomb. So he died on Passover. He was buried on the 15th, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the sinless one for us, and he took our sin with. Praise be to God. And all of God's people said, Amen. and now we're looking at the Feast of first fruits today, the third in the line of the feast. So turn with me, if you will, to Leviticus chapter 23, and we're going to dive in, all right? Leviticus, this is the third book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all right? And uh, some of us are getting used to turning there now. You're like, I've already turned there twice in my life. I'm ready, right? <laughs> Leviticus 23. And uh, the first point, instructional. Anytime you look at Leviticus, you are going to get instruction on the how-to of worship with God from the Old Testament. This is how the Jewish nation was called to worship. Instructional. Celebrate that God has a plan to provide resurrection unto new life. Celebrate that God has a plan to provide resurrection unto new life. He's like, look, man, I'm not just bringing you out of Egypt and leaving you. There is going to be life for you and hope for you. Celebrate that and be ready along the way. So here we go, jumping in to Leviticus 23, starting in verse 9. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, so God's like, hey, Moses, I'm telling you some things. You tell them these things. He's passing it along. And they said, speak these things to him. When you come into the land that I give you, when you come into the land and you reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. When you come into the promised land, got to remember, man, these guys, this is at the point in Leviticus, they have been busted out of Egypt Right? God did the magic for the work of the plague. They get released. They're out. It's been a year or two. They are now in the wilderness element. And he's like, when you get to the promised land, can you imagine how sweet those words would sound? When you get to the promised land, when I make good on this whole thing and get it finished, when you get there and you find a harvest that you can reap, praise God for that, then take a first fruits of your harvest to the priest. That's like the first things you pick, the first things you take together, wrap in a sheath. That's like longwise getting it all wrapped together into a bundle. Bring that together as your first fruits gift to God, saying to him, thank you, Lord. You, you have provided. This is awesome. And you're great, God. And the first fruits giving back to him saying, thank you for your provision. Take it to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, ready, so that you may be accepted. Please note what it does not say. He will wave this before the Lord so that it may be accepted. Everybody say it doesn't say that. It doesn't say it. It says so that you may be. This is a measure of the heart trusting in God, celebrating in giving, handing it over to him. This is going to be super important. Hang on to this. The sheaf is waved before the Lord and we can be approved. That's what he's being, he's being telling the Israelites. There is approval to you as your first fruits is accepted. All right? And uh, 
He says, you will have this sheaf waved before the Lord that you may be accepted. Here we go. Here's the day of it. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. On the day after the Sabbath. So if it's a Sabbath Saturday, the day after the Sabbath would be Okay, our term would be Sunday. We would use that in our English, right? So Sunday is the day after the Sabbath, and that's what he's talking about. He's like, let's make this really clear. I want it to be right after the Sabbath. Now let's just go back and make sure we understand the timeline. So we come up to the Feast of Passover, which we end up with on the 14th of the month at twilight. This would have been a Friday that year that Jesus was going to the cross. A Friday Jesus is going on the 14th. The next moment turns into the 15th. He is buried on the 15th, which is then the Saturday, the Sabbath. And the day after the Sabbath would be then the day after being the Feast of first fruits. And he's like, hang on. This is going to be a really important day in your lives. It's the day after the Sabbath that the priest shall wave it. And on that day, when you wave this sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb that is a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour and mixed with oil and a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. So there's a lamb and a grain and the sheep that's offered up and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hin. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until the same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. He's like, don't eat it until you've gotten the first fruits in. Uh, everybody say, first fruits are important. Okay, it's a really big deal. Get your first fruits to the Lord and celebrate him. And then go ahead and celebrate beyond. Okay? That's what's going on in this passage. It says right after it, make sure that this is a statute forever throughout your generations to all the dwellings. And this is a huge deal that God gets all the glory throughout. He's talking about a first fruit celebration. He's talking about it being the day after the Sabbath, a bundled right together. And so you end up with this Friday, Saturday, Sunday combination of feasts. And it's the feast of Passover and then the feast of unleavened bread and now the feast of first fruits. All right? So that said, as we've said several times over, there are seven Jewish feasts. And um, as it turns out, there are actually eight feasts. Um, the eighth one is um, the Morton Pumpkin Festival. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, uh, we love going down there every year and it's a great time to interact with people and just connect and see so many of you from Harvest as we wander through the different tents and uh, past the food areas and just love spending time together there. The food is just of wild and... I'm not sure I knew you could put pumpkin in that many things, right? <laughs> but you got the pumpkin chilies and you got the pumpkin donuts and you got the pumpkin pies and all these different things, the pumpkin ice cream and people just loving the different dessert pieces of all of it and then being able to connect with family and friends along the way and, and uh, super fun to be able to connect up all week long and uh, love doing that every year. We look forward to it. And, uh, you know, I watch moms get the ice cream for their kids, right? And they get the cup and they hand it to their kid and you see these little ones and they reach out either with their hand where they just grab the ice cream and go for it, right? 
or with their face where they're just like putting it right down into it, just going after it, right? Maybe they're even a little bit patient. They grab the spoon and they're trying to figure out how to motor skill that thing, right? And they're trying to get the spoon and as they get it, they're coming up and it's like hitting nose and mouth and it's dripping off the chin and they are just loving the ice cream, right? It's often one of those moments where you see moms grabbing the phones and they're stepping back one and they're taking a picture and I'm sure that'll be bribery someday, but trying to remember this child in this moment with the ice cream dripping off and, and uh, just loving that moment. Here's what I have never seen, right? In the moment where the mom brings the ice cream and sets it down, the child reaches out with the spoon and digs in deep, and as they lift it up, they turn to mom and hand it over and say, for you, mom. You love me so much, and you've given to me. This is a first fruits of my ice cream <laughs> to you. Take and enjoy. I wave this in front of you in your awesomeness. And, and everybody say, that never happened. <laughs> right? Just dive in, man. And uh, we live life where it's like, mine and for me, and I'm going to get. And, and we learn to raise ourselves up into trying to mature a little bit. And, and God's like, hear me. Make sure that what you get and the lushness of it, get ready to give first fruits back to me. Thank you, God, for your provision. You are awesome, God. Along the way, I celebrate you. And, uh, simple question. How are you doing with first fruits giving? How are you doing with being able to remember what your God is bringing to you and thanking him and giving back to him? And we even talked about this in the prior series, Committed to the King, as we talked about first fruits giving, being able to give of what God has given to you so that you can make much of him. How are you doing with that? Make sure you rally to a first fruit celebration. God loves a cheerful giver as you give along the way, right? And make sure you're making much of him in all you do, okay? That's the first point here. Second, historical. Remember, every feast looks backward to a historical truth. And so remember that God provides a harvest of life. Now turn with me, if you will, to Joshua, all right? So we're turning a different direction now. We're going to the book of Joshua. And it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books, Joshua. So we're going to the sixth book, all right? I'll let you get there. Joshua chapter 5. You can hear the pages turning. I'll wait up. Joshua chapter 5. So this is the sixth book. It's actually the beginning of the history books. This is beyond the first five, which is called the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the books written by Moses. Now we're jumping into the story of Joshua. Remember, we just read about the Feast of Firstfruits, and it said very clearly, when you go into the promised land, when you get your first harvesting, then Here's what I want you to do as a Feast of first fruits. Joshua chapter 5, as we pick it up, is picking up with them going into the promised land. This is that moment that was talked about in Leviticus. We're now looking at it here. So they have been released from Egypt several decades before now, right? It's been 40 years of them wandering in the wilderness. Remember, they were released from Egypt because of the greatness of God. They walked through the Red Sea and then the armies that were chasing them were wiped out. They ended up having this time and opportunity to go into the promised land. God's like, here's what I have for you. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know if I trust it. Those guys look pretty bad over there. I think maybe we'll die. We shouldn't go. 
They did not trust God. And God said, that's it. We pull back. You're going to wander in the wilderness now for 40 years. Why 40 years? Well, that would be a generation. All those decision makers who were like, this is a brilliant idea to not trust God. They're going to end up passing away on that wandering in the wilderness. And he's like, your kids are the ones that are going to be able to take over what I have for you. So they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They get to the end of it. They're right at the precipice of the promised land. And now again, they're walking across a dry riverbed, the Jordan River this time, not the Red Sea. As they come across the Jordan, they step onto dry land, and that's where we're picking it up. All right? Here we go. Joshua chapter 5. It says, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites, with, uh, which, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there were no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. The kings flipped a nut. All the enemies were looking and watching and they're holding, can you imagine? You're like holding onto spears and swords and you're ready to fight and you see riverbeds drying up and people crossing over and you're like, how do we fight that? And your sword drops, maybe even out of your hand, your heart, it says, melts literally and there's no longer any spirit in them. The kings had had enough. It says, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Get ready. This is God's command for them. Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Ha'araloth. And uh, he's like, it's time to circumcise. Very fair to respond to this. Everybody just say, bummer. You know that the first thought from the guys was not, what a brilliant idea, right? The first thought is, what? What are we doing here? And think about it. You've just crossed over the Jordan. You are now in enemy territory. Let's cripple our entire army. This plan doesn't make sense. This plan is all about trust your God. Hang on. This is not what you think. This is what I think. Mark yourselves in the flesh that you belong to me. This is a very important moment. And he said, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. So if you're like, this is ludicrous, tell me why. God's like, don't worry, I know you're going to ask that, let me tell you. He said, all the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, Get it? Everybody coming out of Egypt was circumcised. All the adult men who were ready to make decisions, ready to rock, had been circumcised. Yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. Forty years of wandering, no circumcision taking place. God's like, time to mark yourself as belonging to me. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until All of the nation, the men of war who had come out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk 
and honey. He's like, hear me, you didn't trust me, so it's going to be 40 years of wandering. I'll give the blessing to your kids. Hang on. Now he's asking the kids as he's crossed them over the Jordan River to trust and to get circumcised. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcised, have you heard the word circumcised more <laughs> in your life, right? I started reading this and I'm like, it's crazy how many times in a couple of sentences he's really making the point of circumcision and hang on, that's going to be a big deal in a little bit. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their place in the camp until they were healed. Everybody say, praise God. <laughs> right? You got it. I mean, you got it when you're reading scripture. Don't ignore things and walk past. Imagine what it was like for them and where they were at. Truly grasp what they were living. And they're like, at least we get to heal, right? And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means rolled away or it means circular. It's like the reproach that was due you coming out of Egypt when I saved you but you wouldn't trust me is now gone. And circumcision, you have marked yourselves as being with me, and I am with you. Get ready. Here we go. Now we're just going to pick it up real quickly in verse 10 to move through. It says, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. Are you checking what time it is? As they crossed over the Jordan into the promised land and were given the command to do the circumcision, they did it and now they're healing. Look what the day of the year is. It's the first month, 14th day at twilight. Everybody say, God has a plan. And so he's walking them into the promised land. He's walked them out of Egypt on this same day 40 years ago. Now he's walking them into the promised land. And he's like, get ready. This is a huge day. Then he says, on the day after Passover, remember at twilight, it becomes Passover. Some people call that whole next day Passover. It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That whole day, it's a Sabbath day. And what's supposed to happen the day after the Sabbath? Well, they're supposed to have the Feast of First Fruits, right? And remember the command back in Leviticus, the Feast of First Fruits is to be done when you enter into the promised land and you're having your harvest. It says, in the day after the Passover, basically after that Sabbath day, it's now the Feast of First Fruits, on that very day, everybody say, appointed, God has a plan. On that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased. The manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. You got to remember what manna is. This is the bread being dropped down from heaven during the wilderness when they were wandering and had absolutely no food. Manna, literally pronounced in the Hebrew, mana. It means, what is it? That's literally what it means. Can you imagine? Bread's floating down from heaven. A really good name is, what is that? Right? So they're like, what is it? And the manna hits the ground. They start eating and collecting it, and they live off of this over the years. And the day it stops is the day he crosses the Jordan with them, has them circumcised, declared his. He is now living with them in the promised land. Manna stops. Here's your produce. The feast of first fruits now starts, and they get to have of it with all they've got. Said, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. 
And all of God's people said, God has a plan. And uh, hear me, man, the Feast of First Fruits, celebrating the first takings in the promised land and giving it back to your God. And it says that you, the giver, might be approved along the way. And they celebrated that Feast of First Fruits. You know, this uh, feast was probably a barley harvest. It's in the spring, and we're going to talk about the harvest over the course of these feasts. It's just good for you to know this was probably a barley harvest taking place at that time. And... Um, I was sitting in my backyard this past week, a little bit cooler at one point, and I love sitting back there in the early fall with the breeze starting to blow, and there's just the markers that tell you fall is coming, and uh, you can hear the sound of football on the TV, and, and uh, you can end up feeling a little bit of a brisker breeze, although not so much in the last couple days, but you can feel that a little bit coming, and, and all of a sudden as I'm sitting there, there was this corn husk that blew into my yard and kind of froze on some of the grass there and then blew on and then another corn husk came in. There was a guy, uh, we're at the end of a cul-de-sac and there's a field over there and he ends up bringing his combine in and picking the corn out of there at some point during the fall. And he went after it this year pretty early. He went after going out in the early September here and some of the corn husks were catching wind and flying over and some of them dropped into my backyard, just one or two here and there. And as I'm watching the husks, I'm like, I love seeing that. Like, I'm a deer hunter. So that means like, I've got about three weeks left, man, and we're going after some deer hunting, and I can't wait to get out in the woods, and I can't wait for the temperatures to drop a bit and for it to get cool and crisp, and it's just a simple reminder of some of what's going on in my life and some of what God's doing, and, and uh, man, just a sweet moment of remembrance of all that God provides for us every year and the, some of the relaxations we get to have along the way, and uh, just to be super clear. That's exactly what was going on with the Israelites as they began to take harvest and some of the husk elements of the barley beginning to be seen and they brought the sheaves together. They were able to wave this before God and remember all that God is doing for them, all that God has done for them. And you can imagine for them, they probably looked at crossing over the Jordan River as being like, this is the answer, the fulfillment of the feast, right? He said, first fruits, when you get in the promised land, and, and not even close, like, nope, right? Everybody just say, nope. It's going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is, again, just a, a looking back, a moment, a type along the way, but a way to remember God's provision in your life. And how are you doing at remembering God's provision in your life? What indicators do you have? along the way, where God's showing you some of his handiwork, where he's moving in your life in powerful ways. And become a student of that. Watch and look for the things God's doing and be able to thank him for his handiwork in your life. Remember, all right? Number three, number three. Christological, all that means is this is about Jesus Christ now. We're turning the feast from being historical to about Christ, Christological. And uh, worship Jesus, the first one risen and glorified, with prom who promises us the same. Everybody turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 24. And uh, so I know it says 1 Corinthians. I'm throwing another verses in here, set of verses. Turn to Luke 24. Luke 24, 1 through 9. I just want to make sure you hear this and you grasp this. 
Luke 24, 1 through 9. We're going to get to 1 Corinthians in just a second. Okay. As I still hear the pages turning, I'll give a little setup. So Luke 24, we have now had the end of Luke 23, that is the death of Christ on the cross on Passover. On the 14th at twilight, he breathes his last. On the 15th, Christ ends up being buried, the unleavened bread for us. And we're now picking it up here at this point. Remember the Sabbath, what we would tend to call Saturday, if you will. Sabbath has just happened. Christ has been in the tomb then on that 15th. Here we go, coming into the 16th. It says, but on the first day of the week... This is the day after the Sabbath. This is the same as the Feast of First Fruits. This is the, everybody say, this is the Feast of First Fruits. This is it, man. The Feast of First Fruits is on us now. It's the day after the Sabbath. It's the first day of the week. At early dawn, they went to the tomb, these women did, taking spices that they had prepared, which it talked about at the end of chapter 23. It says, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They walked up to where they know they had seen Christ. He had died on the cross. He had gone to the cross and breathed his last. They saw his blood. They saw his last breath. They saw the unleavened one buried in this tomb. They know the stone was closed up on it. They saw that before. And as they come up, the stone is open. Amen, man. Amen. It says, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Praise God for that. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, every time, man, when you see the word behold, it means hang on, something big's about to happen. Behold, check it out. Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. This does not mean that they somehow got a hold of those little bedazzler guns <laughs> and made their regular clothes all normal. This is angels that are lit up on fire, dazzling apparel. And as they were, the women were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek, ready, the living among the dead? Can you imagine how that sounds to their ears? They're like, what are you talking about? We just buried him just a little bit ago. I know we buried him. I know that he had passed away and Why do you seek the living among the dead? They're giving a very clear statement to him of what's happening. He says, he is not here, but he has risen. Now, hang on. We got a big job to do. Because when we read words like that, this place needs to come unglued. Hear me, man. We have a God who has conquered death, who has conquered sin for you and for me. And so we have a job of celebration. And when I get done reading those words, he has risen. Let's lift up a little bit of cheering and applause and celebration for the risen Savior. Is everybody ready? No, no. Is everybody ready? Here we go. Get ready. It says, and when the women came in, they saw two men standing there by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead. He is not here, but has risen. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen. Don't miss it, man. He is risen. He is alive. 
Amen. Capture it with all you've got. Man, when you read scripture, read it big and read it full. On the 14th at twilight, he died for my sin. The lamb that allows me to be passed over. Praise be to God. And all of God's people said, And on the 15th, he became the unleavened bread. The sinless one, him for me. He went to the cross for me. He died for me and was buried for me. He took my sin away. The sinless one taking my sin on the 15th, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And now on the 16th, the day after the Sabbath, it says literally this is the Feast of First Fruits. And he is risen. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Man, may we grasp that the first three feasts are all about his death and his burial and his resurrection, and he gives us life and he gives us hope. And all of God's people said, amen, Amen, man. It says after that, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? Do you remember that? And all of a sudden they were like, and they remembered his words. <laughs> Those had to be frustrating moments for Jesus along the way, really, where you're like super clear and they're like, wow, I don't remember anything. And now the angel's like, don't you remember? And they're like, now I do, right? And the, <laughs> and the words come back to them, they get it, and it says, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. They were saying exactly what I just said. They're like, listen, man, he, he died. And he was buried, but I'm telling you, he is risen, and the angel told us just as he promised that he would only be there three days, and he is alive. Praise be to God. We have hope in Jesus Christ. He is our first fruits celebration. And all of God's people said, amen, Amen, man. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and let's make sure we get a good, hard-running start into this. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20, is where we're going to be. Give you a chance to get there. I know we're bouncing around a little bit today, but it's good to be able to tie all these passages together, isn't it? Be able to see how much God knows what he's doing. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to start in verse 17 just to get a running start. It says, and if Christ has not been buried, everybody say this part isn't true. Okay. He's giving a potential. Could you imagine if? If Christ had not been raised, he has been raised, but if he had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Grasp the value of the resurrection. We end up being given life eternal because of his resurrection. We end up being able to walk outside of our sin because of the resurrection. It says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, and that's the end of it, right? If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people who must be pitied. And that's it. Like if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, there is no victory over death and there is no victory over sin. There is simply a paying for past sin and that's it and we're stuck. This piece is essential to close it all out. Now we start out in verse 20. But in fact... But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And all of God's people said, 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Are you hearing it? The tying together, he uses the exact same phrase, the first fruits from among the dead, Jesus Christ. He is the first one risen who takes on glorified body. He is the first fruits. He is waved before God the Father for our approval. And all of God's people said, Man, hear me. We have resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, the first fruits given. This is absolutely essential. By the way, as we're walking through these feasts, never read an Old Testament moment and say, you know what it makes me think of? And just jump off to some wild idea. When you're reading through, make sure you've got New Testament passage to lock it down. This is the New Testament passage that ties Jesus Christ to the feast of first fruits. The statement being the first fruits from among the dead. He is the first risen. Praise be to God. And it is on the feast of first fruits. It is the appointed time. And God knows exactly what he's doing. Everybody say, God's got a plan. Amen, man. He certainly does. And uh, if we tie the rest of this together, it says, For as by one man came death... So by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. We can have eternal life because of his resurrection. Praise be to God. So here's a few verses to write down. You ready? And, uh, and then I've got a list for you of six things. But here's a couple verses first. John eleven twenty five. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He said that well before he had resurrected from the dead. God knows exactly where he's headed. I am the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. 25. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. This is God talking to Israel, and he says, And the Lord God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God. He is going to circumcise your hearts. In Deuteronomy, he's talking not about the fleshly circumcision, but a circumcision of the heart God's going to do an amazing work. The word circumcision starts to become a huge statement. In Colossians 2, verse 11, it says, In Jesus you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by Christ. Hear me, man. As they moved through the Jordan River to the promised land, and there was physical circumcision that took place, so as we believe and trust in him, and we move into newness of life, the resurrection of life. We have a circumcised heart and God doing a work in us. God knows exactly what he's doing as he's tying all these stories together. The circumcision of the heart is God doing a work as he's walking us into new life. Praise be to God. We have hope in him. We have life in him. He is the great resurrection. So now I'm just going to read six things that are so great about the resurrection, all right? The value to the resurrection. Here we go. Number one, it is the ultimate first fruits. It is the ultimate first fruits. Comes right out of 1 Corinthians 15, 20, the passage we were just in. The ultimate in first fruits. When you start talking about first fruits of barley, first fruits of wheat, that's all great that God provided, but this is first fruits from among the dead. Only God Almighty can provide that gift. And, uh, it is the ultimate first fruits, Jesus Christ, him for me. Number two, it is the supreme validation. Romans 1.4, Romans 1.4, it says, who was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, 
Jesus Christ our Lord. Declared to be the Son of God with power. Absolutely in charge. The resurrection. It is the ultimate first fruits. It's the supreme validation. Number three, it is the divine justification. The divine justification. This comes out of Romans 4, verse 24. It says, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered for our trespasses. I'm just going to let this settle for a moment. Who was delivered like he died and was buried for our trespasses. Feast of Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread. For our trespasses. And was raised for our justification. For our righteousness, for our future, for living in him. Raised for our justification. Feast of first fruits. Man, we are justified because he is risen. We have hope in Jesus Christ. And that is a deep one. You could mull on that for a long time. But divine justification. Number four, new life. New life, Romans 6, 4. It says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Resurrection allows us to walk in newness of life. He starts doing a change to our soul. He's circumcising the heart. He is transforming what's inside. God doing a work so that there is newness of life all because of the resurrection hope that we have. He literally, as he is raised from the dead, waved before God the Father, and the Father says, I so approve of that, and I am now approving of all of those circumcised with you, and this will be lavished on you. We have the hope of being resurrected because of his resurrection, absolutely, fully, God doing a work. And so number five, the glorious guarantee, the glorious guarantee. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Man, God is doing a change one degree of glory at a time on this side of heaven. But there is a moment where he is going to capture all up with him, whether it be through death or rapture, us with him, changed completely, sin done, newness of life, celebrating the resurrected life that Jesus Christ lives. Amen. Praise be to God. Amen, man. This is huge. Don't miss it. All too often, we're like, Jesus died for my sins and rose. We have hope because he's alive. Jesus Christ died and rose. Everybody say, and rose. He is risen. He is our king. He is alive. As it is not just some little piece of truth, man. This is our hope. Now land it. Good Friday to Easter Sunday is exactly this celebration. Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. He is risen. And all of God's people said, Amen, Amen, man. Huge. Last one, number six. And it's a victorious hammer. It's a victorious hammer. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 to 57. I'm going to read it out. You're going to want to hear this. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality, which Christ did at the resurrection for himself. 
When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all of God's people said, amen, man. We have one word to cry out, victory. Are you ready? Cry it out and cry it loud. Victory, louder, bigger. Victory, because of his rising from the dead, we have victory. May Jesus Christ be celebrated. And all of God's people said, amen, man. That is the feast of first fruits of our great king. Let's pray. 